0: Matthew chapter 24, we'll begin reading verse 3, this will be our jump off point, we're going to be in this type of passage for the rest of the year, I know this is the third week into 2010, but how many of you know God has a purpose, God has a destiny, and uh, I, I, I I'm on a <laughs> I sound like something from the Blues Brothers, I'm on a mission from God, uh, but it's really true. Because I want to change the culture of the church. I don't want meetings. I don't want nice. I don't want order. I want Holy Spirit order. Right. Right. And I really want God to do what God wants to do and what only He can do. Um, how many of you know, if you don't spice up a relationship, you can get bored. And when you get bored, you get in trouble. Some of many of you in this room are in deep trouble in your relationship with God and in your relationships because you've not been able to handle the mundane and the everyday and you've gotten bored. And this year we want to focus you on some facts and we're going to read the first fact today beginning in Matthew chapter 24. If you are a regular attender here, you're going to want to get to know Matthew 23, 24, and 25 real well, even though we won't even be there this morning. You need to get to know it, because everything we do is going to be based from there, and uh, there is a method to our madness. So let's begin with verse 3. Now as He sat on the mount of Olives, the disciples, came to Him privately saying, Tell us when these things be... And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass But the end is not yet. I want to stop you there. And I know you're standing, but I want to stop you and you're reading for a moment. Many of you have had an approach to the Word of God that is based on your understanding and not Holy Spirit understanding. On how you want things to work out rather than how God says they're going to be. It is amazing to me the things that people come up with without paying attention to the very words of the Son of God. He says, listen, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and, and but don't get troubled because we're not done yet. Right. Right. See, the church has been in la-la land for a long time thinking that at the, right at the last minute Jesus is going to appear and, and they're just going to escape everything. I'm here to tell you God is preparing a bride that will come through the muck and the mire, triumphant, overcoming, bright as can be, and welcoming back the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now see if this does not fit the headlines. And there will be famine, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. In the last 50 years... Seismologists will tell you that the increase of earthquakes on the planet has increased almost 10,000 fold. There's not a week that goes by where there's not a seismic disturbance someplace on the planet. You need to start looking up. Things are changing. All these things are not the end, but they're they're the beginning of Sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Everybody rejoice in the word of the Lord. And you will be hated by all nations. Everybody rejoice for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. I just want to tell you something. The best, the quickest way to be deceived is to be ignorant of the Spirit and of God's Word. That's the quickest way to do it. Here's the verse. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And I love this. And this gospel, and check this out, will be preached. God will have His way. In all the world, not as a church growth tool, but as a witness to all the nations. And then, the end's going to come. <laughs> I love the end. Because the end is really the beginning. Right. Now, go backwards. Go to your this way, to Hosea. This is where we're going to find ourselves today. Hosea chapter 2, beginning with verse 14 the only verse we're going to read today. Hosea 2.14. It's in the Old Testament if you're looking. I hear a lot of page rattling. It's in the Old Testament. You can go to your front concordance. That's what I do. I just (laughs) know. Hosea 2.14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and I will bring her into the wilderness, and I'll speak comfort to her, and I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Jesus, I ask for your help. I ask for your grace. I ask you would penetrate our thinking today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, I was in the Word, and I had come across a scripture that I began to pray. It began to take hold, and it led me to this year. I already, in three weeks of this year, I have read and reread the Book of Hosea to the point that its pages are about to fall out. But in Philippians two thirteen, it says, "For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure." I began to realize that anything that really truly happens in our life of any significance is not something that we plan, is not something that we decide is going to happen, but it's what God does in us. It's how God works in us. And He doesn't work in us to do our pleasure, but He works in us to do the pleasure of God. Now, Hosea the prophet is known as the prophet of restoration. And of all books in the Bible, Hosea gives an accurate description of God and his love toward man and how it operates. And as you know, we dealt in December about sentimental love and sentimentality. And Hosea is going to cure this sentimental approach to God. Because there's many people that have a sentimental or a feeling-based approach to God in this way. They either believe that God doesn't have any emotion... Or that they believe God is only angry or God is just kind of a ditzy God. You know what I mean by a ditzy God? He's just up there and he's kind of, you know, you know, Doris Day is one of his angels up there. And she's singing, whatever will be, will be. And that's just kind of how we envision God. Well, I want you to know that God is not a sentimental God, but he is an emotional God. And the more we understand his emotions, the more we understand how he thinks, the more we understand how he loves, the more different we will see ourselves and the difference will be then in how we live. Now, as we begin to approach Hosea, I just want to lay some groundwork so that you will understand Hosea is a model of radical spiritual formation and it is also a model of dynamic, depth, and spiritual transformation. It's one thing to have spiritual formation, but it's another thing to be transformed. Paul would write in the book of Romans in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he would tell them not to be reformed because the assumption is if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, you've already gone through a radical reformation. You've been reformed. The Bible says that you've been born again. You have gone from darkness to light, from death to life. But the problem is, most believers, especially in America, and in the teaching of the Word, we don't bring people from Reformation into transformation. And Paul says to be transformed, metamorphosed, Like a caterpillar that weaves the cocoon and comes out a butterfly. Most of us have weaved the cocoon or looked at it, but we've not been transformed. The only thing that can transform me is not my knowledge of the word or my reading of the word or my even going to church. The only thing that can truly transform me is the love of God and the nature of God's love working in me. And... You're going to hear a lot this year about the love of God. You're going to hear a lot about how it relates to our getting ready to be an end-time church, a bride that is getting ready for a bridegroom who is not ignorant of the devices of the enemy, but is standing straight and tall and means business. Now, it is the model of the heart of the gospel that the modern church must come back to. The assessment of our departure from God as he would see departure and the radical grace of God that we struggle to understand and communicate. If there's one concept I think that the church of Jesus Christ, especially in America, has no clue of, that is the grace of God. We've written a lot of books about it, but we don't understand it. We don't understand how it operates. Therefore, being good human beings, we kind of make things up as they go. Is anybody out there? Now, I'm going to forewarn you, uh, on the north side, I'm going to get into issues. I'm a meddler, and I like to lift up the manhole cover and see what's down in the manhole. I like to pull up the carpet and see what you've swept under it. I like to open the closet and see what skeletons are rattling around there. You say, I don't want my skeleton. Yeah, you do. You need what Brian said the first Sunday this year. You need some of those bones to start rattling around and to be resurrected and God to do something in you that's never been done. Now, the heart of the culture of the kingdom of God is what we think we have. When we think we have it all figured out, God then reveals Himself and voids out much of what we thought was black and white even. So I want to first of all deal with radical spiritual formation. First step in that is that we have been brought out of bondage. The writer Hosea is going to deal with this very clearly when he deals with, with, this, with Israel and her spirit of adultery, spirit of harlotry. But the first thing we need to understand is our Reformation started when we were brought out of bondage. We were captive to the devil. We were captive to his minions. We were a product, as it were, of hell. We were in slavery to the. You know, and I see this. Can I go down a bunny trail for just a moment? And I want to say this with God's grace. But one of the most damnable heresies that has come into the church today is the whole idea that there's no hell. Right. Because if there is no hell, then there's no devil. Right. And if there's no devil, then why in the world am I acting like I'm acting? <laughs> come on. And there needs to be understanding. I, I believe someone who's had a radical reformation in their life is hears the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and realizes I am in bondage, I'm lost, I don't want to be controlled by myself or the devil any longer and here is Jesus offering me a way out of the bondage. In fact, He will go to the the ends of the earth, to deliver me out of my bondage. That's the beginning of spiritual reformation. You can't be reformed unless you believe there's something you need to be reformed from. And the church of Jesus Christ has gone into this slumber of thinking, it's okay, I'm alright. And we need to come back to the realization, even if we've bowed our knee, we still need a Savior. Reformation begins when we're brought out of bondage. The second thing of reformation is we're led to the wilderness for testing and building a faith in miraculous provision. This has not been preached for so long because here's been the message and some of you bought into this message and I'm here to mess with your thinking this morning. When you come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't have a plan of a tulip laden path where you skip to the Lumite, darling, and everything becomes good. The first thing he's going to do you do with you is the same as he did with Israel. They were miraculously delivered out of bondage, got over the Red Sea and God says, let's go into the wilderness and hang out at Sinai. The promised land is right over there, but I've got some testing that I need to do. The first testing that comes their way was the lack of food, the lack of clothing and the lack of water. And God proved himself miraculous in every one of them. Now I want to bring it into right now. We, you know, we hear all about the economy. We hear all about the bad things of the recession. I'm gonna just be blunt honest with you. I believe in what we call the Goshen Principle. The Goshen Principle is this. That when God was raining down the plagues and terrors on the land of Egypt, you will notice in the scripture that it says where Israel was at, where Goshen was, when it was dark in Egypt, it was light there. When the plagues were falling, there was no plagues in Goshen. Does that mean I'll not be sick? Here's what I'm telling you. The first test in a believer's life is, am I going to believe God for the everyday? Right. <coughs> Most of us Place our Christianity over here and say, okay, I've asked Jesus into my heart. Now, here's what we do. The pastor, the evangelist, whoever's preaching, will say, come and make Jesus a part of your life. Do you know that's, a, that's bad theology right there? We're in a culture that already compartmentalizes things. We can do something over here and believe it doesn't affect the rest of our life over here. We compartmentalize. So when we tell people, come and make Jesus a part of your life, what they do is, they just start a new compartment. And so about six months in, a year in, till they're walking with God, all of a sudden, financial difficulty, provision starts being messed with. And all of a sudden, Where's the God you promised? Well, He's still there. He's led you into the wilderness so that you can come through the testings and the tryings of basic provision. Oh, here it comes. You've got to know. And I, If you're here this morning and you disagree with what I'm about to say, you need to know, I'm very stubborn, I know the Word of God, and you're not going to prove me wrong on this. That is, This is why in the area of provision, within the first year, we we urge, cajole, yank, pull, tug, put things in people's heads that we can to get the new believer to tithe. Tithing is not about supporting the church. Tithing is about obeying God with your finances. And here's what I tell people. If you can't obey God with 10% of your income, God's going to take it all. (coughs) And then pretty soon, the checkbook's short. Things are upside down and sideways. What did I do? Well, let's start off with basic obedience. (coughs) Now, for 38 years, Israel's going round and around the mountain. And I told somebody this week, I said, listen... The testing's in your life until you pass the test, God will just loop you around and bring you back to that one. First time I had an old mentor, I, I, I've, I always in my life have surrounded me with older guys that have mentored me. I remember the first time I'd gone in to see one of them, we were sitting there talking and he re- looks back and over his glasses and old oh, Pastor Book, he says, he says, you know what? Son, unless you learn your lesson here, you're going to be doing it again. I thought, you're old, you've drank too much Geritol, you know, you, 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 you don't understand. I got my act together, you know. And sure enough, around the mountain we went and right back to square one we went. And, you know, it takes about three or four times before you go, I've seen this rest stop before. I've seen these results before. What in the world? Well, here's the deal. In the basic reformation of your life, God wants to bring you into the promises, but you know what? God, Jesus said this, He understood men's hearts. And there's some testing that needs to happen in our life. And as we pass the test of miraculous provision, listen, they got up every morning, manna, their clothes didn't wear out. You know what? I believe God wanted them to walk in their promises that He'd given them, looking good, being well fed and well provided for, so they could fight the enemies that they were about to fight in the promised land and not be worrying about the everyday stuff. And we have an immaturity in the church right now where people are more concerned about the everyday than they are moving into the promises of God. And if you're here this morning and you don't like that, then take another trip around the mountain because that's where you're going. God is relentless. He won't let up. He is so in love with us that He'll keep bringing us around and bringing us around and bringing us around. And I mean, you would think He gets tired of it. And I do think there's sometimes He leans over to Gabriel and goes, Man, you'd think they'd be getting dizzy. But he brings us around. And finally, after 38 years, there was two guys that understood the principles of God. Joshua and Caleb. I believe, by the way, and from a prophetic stance, God is bringing a a new spirit of Caleb to the church of Jesus Christ in this hour, where our old men are going to rise up and begin to do exploits that they never did before in leading a new 20-something generation to the promised land. But it's going to take passing the test, old guys. Women, it's going to take passing the test. The third part of supernatural or spiritual formation is then we're released into the promises of God. Now, spiritual transformation is different. That's where we get into it here in Hosea. Spiritual transformation begins to occur when we begin to learn the truth about God's love, His emotions, and the dynamics of His love. I want everybody here to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to begin reading about verse 17, but I want you to know that transformation begins when we begin to understand and comprehend the love of God. When we begin to understand the dynamics of how God loves us. Everybody in this room, no exceptions to the rule, has a father. Father. It's biologically impossible for you not to be here not have a father. Correct? Now, I I know I might not have done well in those classes in college. Those are the ones you slept through. But let me tell you, basic biology I got down. Everybody here has a father. Now, you may not even know your biological father, but there's somebody in your life that you have called dad. And here's the deal, how you understand that father love will be the first hurdle of transformation you have to get over in being transformed because God has a dynamic of love that is called father love that you have to embrace and walk in or you're not going to make it. John seventeen twenty three, Jesus is praying, and, and check this out. Most people can't handle this. They, they think it's just absolutely sacrilegious, but this is Bible. Yeah. John 17, 23, Jesus prays, Father, yeah. that you would love them like you've loved me. Yeah. I want you to think about this. We all get the Trinity and how the Father loves, you know, and gave his Son and how much he loves Jesus. Can I tell you something, point blank, God loves you just like he loves Jesus. Yes. Yes. And some of the stream are going, I don't know, that's, you know, that's a little much, that's a little, well, why is it a little much? That's what Jesus said. The problem is we allow the love of God into our life based on many times a relationship we've had with our earthly father. Now you got to understand, I know of what I speak because many of the, the kids and the people we've dealt with in Portland, we went into the streets to get. And I can tell you, I mean, we've had girls live in our home, we, we've, 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 you know, when marriages have busted up, we've brought the guy in and put him in the back bedroom and said, man, you're, we're going to ride through with this. And every time we get to this point of their transformation, we come back to I hated my dad. My dad abandoned me. Um there's no lo- I didn't experience love. And I can tell you as a, from from personal experience, if you don't understand the love or have not received the love of an earthly father, when you come to God, there's going to the first transformation that's going to have to take place in you is to embrace that there's a father in heaven who loves you absolutely unconditionally. And that you can't make Him love you more than He does right now. Period. He's not going to go in love for you. He loves you more than anybody else could love you. His love is eternal and it's never going to change. So transformation begins. We're at spiritual transformation there. Next slide. We're... Anyway, she'll find it. Uh, It's learning the truth about God's love, His emotions, and the dynamics of His love. Experiencing the depths of His love, the boundaries of His love, and how He really sees us and feels toward us. Most of us, again, go back to the dynamic of an earthly father. We all knew our dads, those of us who grew up with a dad in the home, I knew I had to assume that my dad loved me because... Scottish men didn't really tell talk much gooey language. It was get your carcass out of bed, go to school, and if you screw up, I'll hurt you when you get home. That's pretty much how it went. So there wasn't a lot of ooh, you know, you know, like I'm always kissing on my grandson and loving him, and his dad loves on him and everything. And but for a guy being raised by a dad who is a very strict disciplinarian, you know. You just had to assume that because he was faithful to my mom, he provided for me, he loved God, my dad loved the word, that he loved me. And his last words on this planet, this is she was there. The last words my dad ever spoke on this world was he turned to me and he said, Son, I love you. Now you got to understand something. Here's what happens. Most of us, we come back to that and we think, Okay, God, I'll accept your love. And then we switch right back in the mode of the minute we fail, we go back to this earthly father. Well, he's only going to tolerate so much. He's only going to only tolerate. Because how many of you know earthly dads got I mean, if you're an earthly dad, you have been exasperated with your children. When I went out with the girls raising them, I got to the point of saying, they're your children. <laughs> I turned around and said, you gave birth to them, you deal with it. They're not mine. That, you know, how many of you are glad that God doesn't do that? He always claims us no matter what ditch we get into. Come on. See, that's going to mess with some of your thinking because some of you, and we'll, we'll talk about it as we go through this in the next few weeks and months, some of you have an idea of holiness that is absolutely wrong. It's absolutely unscriptural. It's absolutely against the nature of God. Where God is, doesn't love us based on our performance, God loves us because He's God. And some of you might think, Well, wow, does that mean I'm free to do whatever you want? If you want to mess yourself up, have right at it. You know, the, you remember the scripture, and my dad used to throw this one at me. I'm sure some fathers have. A, you're, you know, my dad would tell me, now listen, you're going out tonight? Yeah. Now I understand your sin will find you out. I'll know what you're doing. He never figured it out. But guess what? My sin did find me. Some of you can't even look in a mirror because your sin has found you out. So in order to be transformed, we have to go through this understanding that how He loves and feels toward us. We have to then, transformation occurs when we have probed deep enough in His love that we can now define ourselves. Now listen to this. We can define ourselves by His love for us and in us, not defined by our failure or the bondage that we're coming out of. I love testimonies, but I, when we, we, from time to time, we'll have people give testimonies of what God has done. We try to coach them before we do it. And here's one of the things we want people to understand where they've come from. At the same time, we don't want to glorify their bondage. You know, I I was raised in the era of the Jesus movement and, you know, and Dave Wilkerson came on the scene with Nicky Cruz and gangs and all this stuff, you know. And, you know, so everybody had a testimony. I mean, and if you didn't, you made one up, you know. Yeah, well, man, God save me from drugs, you know. And you'd never touched a bit in your life, but you made it up as you went just because you had to have a testimony. Come on. When you probe into the love of God and you begin to understand that there are no... You know, Paul says that you would know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of God. And you probe deep into God's love, you begin to understand in God, you are not defined by your failure. You are defined by his love. Some of you have a hard time with that because you've been taught that your failure is the ultimate importance. Let me tell you, God's love is ultimately important because His love is the only thing that is going to stand there on the day of judgment. Now see, one of the things we're wanting to do is to paint a picture, a biblical picture for you of God and then of His Son, Jesus Christ. Because when we read to you out of Matthew 24 that many will be offended and betray one another, the first offenses that are going to come are going to be in the house of God. They're going to be offended at the Jesus that begins to reveal Himself in the last days who is no longer a baby in a manger or some little lamb or some you know, sick-looking shepherd with a staff and a lamb. He is going to come as a warrior. He's coming to rule the earth with a rod of iron. And you've got to understand something. If you're not grounded in how He loves you and cares about you, you're going to be offended at Him, at the church, and what's going on in this earth. And so you have to probe deep and understand that God does not define you by your failure. He defines you by His love. I am If I am going to be defined... See, and here's what the... Ooh, bunny trail. Let's go down it. We all know people that have failed in the pulpit. They have failed in the in the in the church. And isn't it amazing? Now now walk with me for a minute. Isn't it amazing how we want to put labels on people? Oh yeah. He that pastor over there, he did a no no. And we define people by their failure. Now, obvious, one of the things that, that, that I'm going to be dealing with privately, I'm going to be bringing some of our kids, I'm just telling you publicly, from the north side together, we're going to sit down, we're going to go through the Bible, and we're going to look at how God deals with leaders that don't repent. Now, and here's the deal, God doesn't deal in anger. He constantly allures. At the same time, we are required for, in order for repentance and healing. There are times that Jesus, the, the word says, listen, you don't fellowship with this person. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, listen, we're going to turn this one over to Satan for the salvation of his soul. He comes back in 2 Corinthians by chapter 2 and says, whoa, you've done enough. Just, he's repentant. Get him back in here. You love on him. You give back to him. You restore him. Why? Because God's ultimate is not about punishment. God is constantly about a heart of love that says, I'm a restorative God. I'm a God that restores. I'm a God that redeems. I'm a God that releases from bondage. My ultimate is to set people free, not put them in bondage. Some of you in this room, you get messed up and you think, well, that means there's no rules. Friends, love is a rule unto itself. In fact, Paul would write that the love of God constrains me. It keeps me from doing certain things because I don't want to lose His love in my heart. Here's the thing. You know, it's, it's like, it's like the, you've probably heard the story of the old couple that are driving along in the pickup truck, you know, down in Mississippi, and they're driving along, and they're in their late 60s, and... Down the road coming right at him is this hot rod car. It was back in the days of the bench seats. And here's a kid driving that car and his girlfriend. And she's just tucked up right next to him. And I mean her arms are around his neck. And she's kissing on him as they drive down the road. It looks like a two-headed monster behind that steering wheel. And the old gal in the pickup truck, she's in her late 60s, her husband, you know, they're both kind of, they're old. And uh, she looks over at him and she says, how come we don't do that anymore? He looks back over at her and says, I haven't moved. See, God's love never changes. We do. We move away. We move out of the way. We sometimes get clear out of the truck, get clear in the back of the bed of the truck. We start, my my grandson the other day made up a story. He went to see his grandma. His grandma said, how did you get here? It's Elizabeth's mom, so it's his great-grandma. He says, great-grandma, I hitchhiked here. (laughs) We're all looking at him like, you did not. He just learned the word hitchhike, and he thought he'd throw it out there. Some of us right now are hitchhiking in our relationship with God because God hasn't moved, but we have. God never moves from His position of love. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And His love never changes for us. We're the ones, through our decisions and through the circumstances that we allow, we move and we change. Got to get off that bunny trail. I'll be there too long. Transform then to a point... Well, the wilderness of our lives becomes a process of learning to lean on him. And I love that scripture in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, where it says, Who is this coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Many times we come out of the wilderness of things in our life, and we are all going to go through wildernesses. It's, it's essential that we do. But we come out and we look like we've been run over by a Mack truck. Clothes are ripped and torn. We got gouges out of our flesh, and, and you know, and we're always ready to share with people. What's how you it. Oh, it's not good. I, can I can I be honest with you? And you'll everybody say I love pastor. Well, I just want to come on. That was not a lot of energy there. I ain't changing, so you just need to hang in there. Here's the deal. It's hard to listen to somebody complain. How you doing? Oh, I tell you, it's just terrible. It's terrible. And the cat, and the dog, they're at it. My mother-in-law. <laughs> my wife. Let me tell you about my wife. Oh, my wife. And you just want to say, uh, "Are you breathing?" Yeah, well, rejoice. You're breathing. Did you make it up today? Oh, yeah. Rejoice. There is worse things than you're at right now. You see, when I understand that God takes me through things so that i will learn to lean on him in the processes of my life and i learned to lean on him in the wilderness and the biggest thing that we learn in the wilderness is the soft voice of god saying come here come here come here a couple of weeks i'm going to read to you a story that that has been that that was literally you've probably heard it before but it was written by a man by the name of edward miller and Edward Miller wrote a parable of, of that I'm going to read to you in a couple, three weeks that will change the dynamics, in, I hope, in your life about the wilderness. But in the wilderness, God aims to speak to you. And I think we, we that's the process of transformation. Now, very quickly, because we're running out of time. How many of you are with me? Uh, I'm going to... Back in the back, I want you to let me tell you what slide to skip to, and we're going to we're going to move into this. Um, I want you to go to a, the, it's called mess. The mess. Go to the mess. Everybody, go to Hosea chapter one, beginning at verse two. I'm going south side will be a little late. But i got to get this, in, this DNA into you so you have something to... How many of you have already learned something this morning? How many of you, the Holy Spirit's already kind of going, get getting your brain? That's good. Now, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, <laughs> and by the way, let me just give a disclaimer. Don't do this at home. You know, I literally I've had people. I, I think they thought about this, about what we're about to read, and they've gone, "Oh, I'll try that." Now, do not try this at home. He says to Hosea, "Go take yourself a wife of harlotry. Do not do this at home, and children of harlotry." Now, let me stop there. He's going to be a father to children yeah. who are birthed out of adultery. Wow, for the land has committed great harlotry and then he defines and when we get into chapter 4 of Hosea we're going to talk about the spirit of harlotry it is an actual spirit and we're going to have a deliverance service and we're going to cast that sucker out of some of you because some of you you haven't committed physical adultery but you've committed adultery of the heart in your dealings with God now look at this by departing From the Lord. God did not indict them for fleshly behavior or for just one thing. You look at chapter 2 verse 8. It says, For she did not know that I gave her grain and new wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which she turned and prepared for Baal. And in verse 13, he talks about Baals, plural. How many of you know we can have more than one God and really be messed up? Now look at this. You know, and by the way, can we go to verse 13? I just got to get it out of the way. Just, this is just a clean up. We're going to clean up the desktop here real quick. Verse 13, he says, I'll punish her, chapter 2, for the days of the bales to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after lovers, but me she forgot. Now that, I've had people come up See, I told you. We shouldn't be wearing earrings and all this jewelry. That's not what it's saying. It's saying she decked herself out for somebody other than God. Let me tell you, let's just clear it all up. How do you feel about makeup, Pastor? Listen, every barn needs some paint once in a while. Go for it. Just get it done. I mean, some of you might need some spray paint. I don't know, but just do it. Here's the deal: it's what's on the door of your heart that God is most concerned about. Let me tell you something: we're dealing with a culture that's trying to define itself by its earrings, and we need to quit looking at that and look at them in the eye and look at their hearts. Don't start taking stuff out of context and making some of your dumb holiness rules. Listen, God was most concerned that their heart had departed from Him. He was upset because He's so in love with these people. He says, Hosea, take for you a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry because Israel has done this. She has departed from me. She has left me. And let me define the mess When Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 10 and 11, He says that the love in the last days, the love of many, is going to grow cold. I'm literally watching it in front of my eyes. And in dealing with people on both sides of the river. I'm watching it in everyday ministry where people, suddenly, they're doing things. And we all worry about their behavior. But God is beginning to show me, no, there's a coldness come into their heart that they need to be warmed by the fire of the Word of God and have their heart thawed out. Because you can change your behavior and still be cold to God. Some of the nastiest people I've ever dealt with in church were people who had never committed quote-unquote of sin, but their heart was so far from God that they were nasty to deal with. We always look for some outside reason or explanation so that we can avoid the heart of the matter. He knows it's always much deeper than we let on. I want you to observe how God's not in a state of shock here. He he understands what Israel's up to. And there's some reasons for her departure. At this point, when Hosea is, is writing this and prophesying this, Israel, even though she's still in captivity has began to experience a measure of prosperity. She's eating well. She's well taken care of. And I I want you to hear this. One of the quickest ways to depart from God is to have everything going okay in your life without the proper understanding and outlet of why it's going okay. Now, I'm going to... I don't know what you've been taught, on, and I'm just, again, bunny trail for a minute, on the area of prosperity. But here goes. This is from the head, or actually the neck. I believe that God will provide all of my needs. I believe we have practiced it. The scripture that says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging for bread. Let me tell you something. I've watched God do miracle after miracle after miracle in our finances. But you want to, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not tooting anything. I'm just telling you, you want to know why? Because everything we have is God's. And we learned very quickly and very early God did not give us things and money so that we could keep it to ourselves. What we have, we give away most of the time. Drives her nuts. What happened? Well, there was this person, you see. See, a wrong idea about money and prosperity will cause you to depart from God. We deal with it all the time. Marriage is split up over money. Why? Why? Paul was very clear. The love of money unleashes a root of evil into your life. I believe God wants the church to be prosperous, but not for the sake of prosperity so you can build bigger houses and bigger barns. You know what? We can go through the book of Haggai and God indicts those people. He says, you're building big houses, but the house of God is in ruins. And that's where I see the church right now. That we've all got stuff, while the house of God, and I'm not talking about the physical house. I'm talking about the spiritual house of God is in ruins because we've departed from God Because of our prosperity. Some of you say, well man, I'm out of a job right now. Uh, You know, I'm sorry about that. And I pray that God will give you a job. But let's bring things into perspective for a moment. Your unemployment for one week is more than the average African in Africa will make in a year and a half. When I was in Ethiopia, one of our dollars equaled eight of their dollars. And you know how much the average Ethiopian made per month was one of their dollars? I got a missionary all upset at me one day because I'm down in the middle of Addis Ababa in one of the worst districts, and I'm giving money away. He says, you can't do that. I said, why? Well, man, they'll they'll begin to expect They I said, you're going to tell them about Jesus who loves them, and they get to live on 12 cents a day? I said, I can't do it. I got upset with the missionary because we went to buy some, some, you know, little trinkets or whatever to take home. He's dickering with them. I said, well, I just pulled myself, what is your problem? Give him the whole amount. See, the church has gone sideways with its American thinking about prosperity. Friends, I'm telling you, God gives you a million bucks because He wants you to invest in His kingdom we got to get it right because otherwise we're moving to a spirit of harlotry. We're departing from the living God. You read about Jesus and He says foxes have holes, but I have no place to lay my head. He did, you know, this whole idea, well, Jesus is really rich when he's here. I don't know if he was or not. I do know this. He told us, don't lay your treasures up in, he- you know, here, but lay them up in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. He says, see the lilies of the field? If I clothe them, I'm going to clothe you. If you're hungry, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. Quit sweating it. Quit, and quit being anxious. Let me tell you something. We're coming into a time in the church where God wants to release a move of God, where we We take what we've had and we begin to give it away and God gives us more and we give it away and the gospel moves forward. When all the economy has collapsed, the church will be standing strong, economically sound. Why? Because we've departed from the idolatry of money. I'm not saying it's wrong to have things, but if things have you, it's wrong. Distractions of the culture, recreation, imagination... Uh, there's nothing wrong with recreation. There's nothing wrong with some of this stuff. But friends, let me tell you something. If it causes you to depart from God, it's a problem. Distractions then turn to tolerance, if you've noticed. When we get distracted, we start to It's, it's real easy. Come on. Have you ever been at the computer playing a game or doing... I have grandkids. And my grandkids are what I call up-close grandkids. They just can't play in a room. They've got to be right under your feet. You know, my granddaughter, even at six years old, it's like the other day I had her, and she brings all her stuff into my office, tucks her we got a little desk for her, she tucks the little desk right next to my big chair, sucks in there, so, "What are you doing? I'm just going to be close. Well, Papa needs room. Well, you can move a little that way. you know she, she wants right right there, and pretty soon you're busy doing what you're doing. The tolerance comes when you you, you ignore the fact that now she's coloring on your walls. (laughs) Or the other day when she was there, she slipped out of the room. I stayed doing what I was doing. Come to find out she's up. You know, we have those scentsy candles in our house that make that. She's dipping her finger in the wax and painting all over the counter with it. And she comes she comes home, she look what she did. I go, Yeah, whatever. (laughs) I tolerated it because I had departed from the focus of watching that kid. And when we begin to depart from things, then we start to tolerate things. And when, then when we start to tolerance, tolerance leads to going through the motions of a relationship with God. Which means re- we get into a ritual and the ritual leads to compromise. And then compromise leads to idolatry and a type of spirituality that leads to the worship of demonically based things instead of god things. Now, I'm going to close with this. How many of you would like to see our church grow? Well, let me tell you something. I don't want it to grow because of something we do. I want our church to grow because, number one... We're preaching the word and we're living by the word and we're worshiping and God becomes attractive to the heart that is broken and the life that is wounded. And God becomes so attractive to you that you want to share him with somebody else. I think we're coming into an era in the church when all the good programs aren't going to work anymore because we've seen it, done it, and had it all. But there's something they haven't seen, haven't done, and that is a pure dose of God into their life. And ritual has got to end. I can promise you one thing. By the end of this year, what you call your church won't look like what it was this morning. I hope it scares the living daylights out of you. Because let me just tell you something. There's coming a day when people are going to need umbrellas, brother. Because there's a rain coming to the church. God called it the former and the latter rain. It's coming, friends. God's going to pour out His Spirit in such a way that some of you are going to be embarrassed about how you acted in church. You're going to be embarrassed how you act in your home because the Spirit of God is going to come on you because you've fallen so deeply in love with God, you don't care anymore. Karen, come play to give him hope. Let's stand. Lift your hands. Just lift your hands. I want you just to say, God, I need Your love this morning. I need Your love. I need a revelation of Your love. Come on. Voice it out loud. Voice it out loud. Voice it out loud. Come on. Come on. Come on. Voice it out loud. I need a revelation of Your love. I need a revelation of Your love. I need to know You, God. I need to know this God that I've been bragging about and talking about and said yeah I go to his church but friends I don't want to know his church I want to know him I want to know the Lord of the church I want to know the bridegroom (laughs) I want to know the bridegroom I don't want to know what he thinks about me because you know what everything I think is just kind of out there but when I start having God thoughts when I let this mind be in me it was also in Christ Jesus things begin to change Father, I just come to you this morning right now and I ask that you'd break through churchianity. Break through our ritual. Break through all the stuff we do that we say is church. Bust up our week, God. Mess with people in their homes, Jesus. Mess with them in the car. Start pouring your love, oh God, into hearts. There are hearts here this morning that were damaged by their fathers, God. And they're trying so hard to love but All they can see is through the prism of a father who did his best, but he wasn't you, God. And Lord, I pray you'd begin to heal the wounds that are in people, Lord. That they begin to relish and want the love of Father God, in their life. Shake us up, God. Stir us with your love, Father, I pray. Stir us, oh God.